Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode one, and the title is Medicare for All, an Overview. My guest today is Dr. Ed Weisbart. Dr. Weisbart chairs the Missouri Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. He is an MD and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. Dr. Weisbart practiced medicine at the Rush Medical Center in Chicago for 20 years. He served as Chief Medical Officer of Express Scripts in St. Louis, Missouri, from 2003 to 2010. The doctor is an assistant professor of clinical medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. He is a volunteer at Safety Net Clinics and other nonprofits in the St. Louis area. Dr. Weisbart, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thanks, Joe. I'm glad to be here. So just give an overview of what Medicare for All is, and then I'd also like you to give a brief statement what it is not. So let's start. What is Medicare for All? So Medicare for All is a very simple concept and a very simple solution. It simply means taking Medicare, which has been around for 50-some years now and has been remarkably successful and remarkably popular, take Medicare, make a few improvements that we all recognize it needs to have done, um, and then provide that to every American. The improvements are pretty simple. You would simply need to expand the benefits because most Americans actually agree that people on Medicare should have eyeglasses covered, should have hearing aids covered if they need them, should have dentistry covered if they need that. So improve the benefits. And the other thing you have to do in improving Medicare, the other big thing is to eliminate these you know, significant co-pays and deductibles. No American should have to deal with co-pays and deductibles to go see a physician. That's just a barrier to health care. So if you did those two things, if you improved the benefits and if you eliminated the co-pays and deductibles, well, then there wouldn't be any need for people to go shopping around for a supplement or a Medigap policy or certainly not to go into a Medicare Advantage plan. There would be no, no reason to do that because we would be providing every American with really robust, comprehensive, easy-to-use health insurance. So one point... When you say expand Medicare, of course, you mean expand it to everybody in the country, not just for people right. who are over 65. Right. Everybody in the country would be in this same program. So that would be, of course, today's current seniors who then would no longer have to buy a supplement or an advantage plan. So today's seniors would have better health care than they have, better health insurance than they have today. Children, instead of having this separate chip program or insurance or whatever for the children would be in it, working adults, non-working adults. Everybody in the country would be in this one program, and that's the only way to get the administrative savings and efficiencies that we need to fund covering everybody. One of the things that's coming up is people are saying certain things are Medicare for all, which I don't think they are. They are false plans. One thing that's coming up is to create a public option for Medicare and allowing everybody to buy in. And would that work? No, in a word. I mean, there are there is some appeal to that because it might be easier politically to get to a public option than it would be to do the full program that we need. So there's there's that argument. Part of the reason it might be easier to accomplish is because the insurance companies would see it for what it is. The insurance companies would recognize that only the sickest of Americans would go into that. 
So the insurance companies would lose their most expensive patients, probably, and they would keep the healthiest, most profitable patients. So it might be that insurance companies wouldn't fight that as hard, so it might be more politically achievable. But it wouldn't accomplish very much. Very few of the massive uninsured people we have today would go into it. Most would not because there would be a premium, which since the program would have the most expensive patients, it would be a high premium. So very few people would really pick it. So it wouldn't accomplish the goal of getting everybody insurance. It wouldn't accomplish the goal of saving money for the country because it would just be one more choice of many options we have today. That's a really important point, because if you just add one more insurance option, that means that hospitals and physicians and the entire system has to keep all of the infrastructure that is required today to manage all of these insurance companies. The average doctor spends nearly $100,000 a year in the United States just dealing with the insurance companies. And that's not true anywhere else in the world. Hospitals employ 900,000 people working in billing and insurance-related activities across the United States, 900,000, and we have 900,000 hospital beds in the United States. So the average hospital has one person from billing for every bed that they have, and that's unheard of anywhere else in the world. In Canada, for example, Toronto General, I believe, has three people in billing. This is unheard of. And as a result of that, you wouldn't get any of that. None of that would improve by just adding a Medicare option. A Medicare option would be just one more choice. All of the infrastructure, all of the wasteful infrastructure that we squander our resources with would be unchanged because they would still need all of that. And we wouldn't accomplish very much. We wouldn't save money and we wouldn't reduce the number of uninsured by very much. So it's a decoy issue. It's a fight that would probably be, despite what I said earlier, probably still be a pretty heavy lift, probably still be a pretty hard fight. And and it would delay any ability to move forward on real Medicare for all. You know how it works in our country. We would do this, we would fight for it, and then we would spend a few years trying to implement it. And then we would spend a few years trying to assess whether it worked or not. And so it would delay what we need to do, which means it would leave tens of millions of Americans remaining without insurance, even more remaining with crummy insurance. And if we're going to have a fight to fix the problems with healthcare, that's not the fight we should have. We should have the fight for Medicare for all, for real Medicare for everybody. I want to go back to a point you made about the public option. And one of the issues that I see with it is I see it's the worst of both possible worlds. Because what happens, the insurance companies will just take the healthier people to make profits and they'll leave the more sick, they will leave the sicker people for the insurance companies. So what will happen is they will get the profits and the public will be left with taking care of the sicker people. Since we're not getting the taxes for that, that will make it very unaffordable. Is that point correct? You're exactly right. The sickest of Americans are the ones who are the most worried and the most struggle the most with the restrictions that the insurance companies put in place. If you're healthy, you look at your, you pick your insurance company to make sure that it covers the one or two doctors that you need to see or the one hospital that you want to go to or the three drugs that you might take or whatever. You pick your insurance company based on the needs of a relatively healthy person and then you're happy with that as long as you don't get sick. But if you get really sick, if you have something bad happen, if you have cancer or you need rehab after a stroke or something of that sort, all of a sudden, the restrictions that your insurance company has that you didn't even know were there come into play. And so that's what we've seen around the country over and over again, is that when people go into these restricted plans, they're actually reasonably happy until they get sick. And when they find when they get sick, that's when their insurance almost disappears from them. 
And so you're exactly right. It's the sickest of Americans who would decide that they need to go into what would unfortunately be a relatively expensive program because it would have the sickest of Americans. So they would be the ones who would want to go into it, and it would be a death spiral for the cost of such a program. Now, what I'd like to do is something a little bit different and give you a hypothetical. So imagine that you're in an elevator and somebody says, hey, I hear you support Medicare for All. Can you tell me why I should support it? You have about 30 seconds. Please go. Sure. Um, The main reason I'm interested in this is because I'm just really tired of seeing all of my So many of my friends and neighbors and, frankly, patients who can't afford to get really important parts of healthcare. They can't afford to go to most doctors. They can't afford to take their prescription drugs as they should. They can't afford tests. They can't afford to go to the hospital. And if they're forced to do that because they're so sick, they have to declare bankruptcy so many times. And and I I didn't used to know what to do about that. I just thought it was part of life. But it turns out that we're wasting so much money in healthcare by having the insurance companies manage it, which no other country does it like this, that we can afford to not make people have to suffer like that. And it would free up resources for the country, for other things, and it would free up resources for the business community. It would help American businesses. So when you realize that people are going through these disasters needlessly, and that the country would be better off by not putting them through that, the answer to me is that we need to simply improve Medicare, fix a few things with it, and then expand that to everybody and change the way we finance health care. I would like to summarize a bit, if I may, just what you said. And I look at it this way. So the reason that we need Medicare for all is that it covers everybody. It eliminates co-pays, deductibles, and coinsurance, which means it ends the financial burden. And one important thing is it will allow people to choose whatever doctor, medical professional, or hospital they want. I think you said those things, but just a little bit differently. How do you feel but about But I agree it? with that completely. I mean, that's the, that's the silliness of tragedy of how we have it set up, is that every American could have health care coverage, which wouldn't disappear if they got sick, It wouldn't disappear if they changed jobs. There would be no risk of losing it because it would be every American that would have it. So everybody could have this. And this insurance would be so good that it wouldn't have to deal with co-pays and deductibles and, and narrow lists of doctors and narrow lists of hospitals. They could go to any doctor they wanted to in the country, virtually any doctor. They could go to any hospital if they needed to. And they wouldn't have to worry about surprise medical bills appearing later or anything like that. They would simply be getting their health care and not be at any risk. And the real tragedy of this is that they could do that and the country would save money by doing that. I've talked to a lot of people who work with entrepreneurs, and all of them say to a point, even now, that health care is a big concern. Do you think going to Medicare for All would help entrepreneurship in this country? Medicare for All would absolutely help entrepreneurship in this country. If you think about it, if, you, if you're an employer and you have 50 employees or let's say 200 employees, and if they're all healthy, you can buy them health insurance premiums at a, at a pretty good rate probably, um, and that'll make your, your job offering for your new business relatively attractive. But all of a sudden, let's say one of those 150 employees that you have gets hep- comes, uh, is recognized as having hepatitis C 
or cancer or something that suddenly is going to cost a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars to treat, or maybe a million or two million dollars to treat. All of a sudden, the insurance companies will charge you, the employer, a lot more for your insurance premiums next year. And so employers know this. Employers know that from year to year, they can't realistically budget what their expenses are because with 150 employees, expenses go up and down rapidly and unpredictably. It's the law of insurancing of insuring a small group. It's very difficult to do. That's why the best insurance companies are the best insurance company strategy is to make the insurance company as large as you can. And of course, the best way to do that is to insure all 340 million Americans through one program, Medicare for All. Then overall, the costs for the entire population are distributed evenly and are more predictable. So employers, we would have to decide how much employers would be contributing or not contributing to this, to funding this. But whatever it would be, it would be a predictable amount. So the employers could know next year, this is what I'm going to spend on healthcare per employee. And the year after that, here's what I'm going to spend for, for employees. So at the end of that, that means that an entrepreneur would have one less risk to manage. And if there's one thing businesses don't like, it's risk. So this would eliminate that big piece of risk and make entrepreneurs more able to venture out and be innovative and create. We talk about entrepreneurship, but I'd like to know what the business community also thinks about Medicare for All. My understanding is that an awful lot of large companies have known that the cost of healthcare is rising more rapidly than anything else, and they've been worried about that. But healthcare has been number 12 or number 14 on their issues that they've been having to pay attention to. It's been, they've seen the trend. They knew that it was going up in cost. But frankly, there were other things that they were paying more attention to as drivers of the cost of business. So healthcare at one point was just one part of the benefits they gave their employees, which was one part of the cost of having employees, which was one part of the cost of producing their goods, one small part of a part of a part. But what's happened, what we've been seeing more and more the last couple of years or so, healthcare has gradually followed this trajectory to the point where it was number 12 for their driver, then number nine, then number eight, then number five. And we're at the point now in the United States where large businesses and small businesses are recognizing that healthcare is now perhaps the number two or number three uncontrolled cost of their business expenses. So all of a sudden, healthcare has moved from a peripheral looming issue that they were worried about to actually now a front burner issue. They're recognizing that this uncontrolled cost has gone, gone on to the point where it's actually now driving the cost of their doing business. And so businesses are finally starting to organize and coalesce around the idea that enough is enough. They can't stay in business like this. And they, and they simply need the country to come to grips with this and make a robust, affordable solution, which is the only one that makes any sense economically is Medicare for all. So that's very interesting. So in terms of takeaways, well, let's start with the last one, that businesses are realizing it's a very expensive cost and we need to do something. So they are beginning to support Medicare for all. Would that be a correct summary? Yeah, that's exactly right. I would like to shift gears and ask you, what do you think of the political feasibility of getting Medicare for all passed? So the political feasibility of getting Medicare for all passed is dependent entirely upon the political will of the American people. And the interesting thing about that is that this has been changing gradually but profoundly just in the last five years. Five years ago, if you asked Americans, should the government even be involved in ensuring that every American has 
health insurance, should the government be responsible for ensuring that every American has health insurance? Five years ago, not that long ago, five years ago, only 40% of Americans said yes to that. Five years ago, most Americans said it's not even the government's place to be involved in making sure that every American has health care. That's just five years ago. Then the ACA um, went live, and, and shortly after that, the number went from 40% to 50%. And the most recent data says that now 60% of Americans think, hey, you know what? That is the government's job. The government should be doing that. And even more striking than the shift in opinion by the American population overall, look at what's happened in the legislature. So we went from having something, several dozen legislators co-sponsoring the, the legislation for Medicare for All to today, we have, I think the number is 123 legislative uh, representatives in the House of Representatives and, and a comparable ratio in the, in the Senate. I forget the exact number. So we've gone from it being a marginal fringe idea just a few years ago to now a majority, sadly, only of the Democrats, and we don't have Republicans on board with this yet, even though it should be apolitical, but a majority of the Democrats now are co-sponsors of the legislation, and everyone in the Senate and the Democratic side who's thought to be running for president in 2020, every one of them has co-sponsored the Medicare, has signed their name, co-sponsoring Medicare for All legislation in the, in the Senate. So we've gone in five years from it being most Americans saying we shouldn't even have the government involved. Over five years, now it's table stakes if you want to run for president from one of the major political parties in our country. So have we gotten it past yet? No. Are there still huge hurdles to cross? Of course. But the trajectory has never been this strong. Do a majority of physicians support Medicare for All? Yes, a majority of physicians support Medicare for All. This also is something that's shifted over the last five to ten years, from it being a strong minority of about 35 to 40 percent to the most recent data says also at least 60% of, of American physicians say that they want Medicare for all, for lots of reasons. Um, they, they, they obviously see that it would solve a lot of the problems that their patients are going through, but physicians also recognize that it would be a far simpler way to practice. Physicians have almost $100,000 of office expense just dealing with insurance companies, and they don't want to do that. Physicians spend several hours per week just dealing with insurance companies, rewriting prescriptions, getting prior authorizations for tests, and various other challenges that the insurance companies throw in their way. Physicians are getting burned out and really don't like doing that. We, all of us, went to medical school because we, frankly, want to see patients. And so the more time you divert us into these insurance functions and away from patients, there's actually data showing that the more time we spend diverted away from patients, the less happy we are. The physicians are getting that. One of the things, too, that I think is overlooked is if we went to Medicare for All, it would save a lot of time. Right now, of course, people are able to sign up on healthcare.gov for marketplace plans under the Affordable Care Act. But it's a complex process, and you have to spend a lot of time figuring out what insurance? It would seem to me if we had Medicare for All, the sign-up would be very simple. You go online, you just give a little bit of information about maybe address and where you live, and you're signed up. Would that be a correct statement? It is a correct statement. And I don't know how many times I've had to help my patients understand what their insurance options are and what their insurance does and doesn't do and, and deal with those issues. And if I'm going to spend 15 minutes with a patient, I don't really want to spend five or ten of them talking about insurance. I'd rather spend those five or 10 minutes talking about 
seatbelts and diet and exercise and lifestyle and all the other things that are actually important instead of having to spend time talking about this stuff with her, with my patients. Who prioritizes that? Who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that. The only reason Americans want to have choice of insurance is because all of their choices of insurance today are crummy. You have to pick the insurance that's best for you because they're all pretty inadequate. One of my favorite quotes from Uwe Reinhardt, uh, a healthcare futurist who passed away not that long ago, he said, here's the four steps for picking a health insurance company. Step one, decide what diseases you and your family are going to have in the coming year. So obviously a little tongue-in-cheek here. Step two, find the best doctors and hospitals for those diseases. Step three, find the insurance company that covers those doctors and hospitals. And step four, if there isn't such an insurance company, go back to step one and pick some new diseases. (laughs) Okay. Uwe Reinhardt. (laughs) Yes, I, I am familiar with him. And I was very saddened to hear when he passed away. Interestingly enough, he was asked by Taiwan to help them to devise an insurance system, and they ended up, partially based on his advice, with what's equivalent to a Medicare for All system. That's right. Which I found very interesting, because he was considered one of the premier experts on healthcare in this country. No, that's right. And we all, we all miss him. He added a lot to the whole, to our understanding of healthcare. What I would like to do now is summarize a few takeaways. The other thing I would say is Medicare for All would make people's lives easier. Also, be careful of plans that are called Medicare for All, but really aren't, that would keep our current system. And perhaps three important reasons for supporting Medicare for All are that, as I mentioned earlier, is it covers everybody, it gets rid of deductibles, co-pays, and co-insurance, and it allows you to pick any doctor or hospital. And let me add, the doctors could actually concentrate on taking care of patients instead of worrying about insurance and billing. Would those be good takeaways? Yep, I think you've nailed it, Joe. Would you have any other suggested takeaways? Just all that I, all that I would say is it's the right thing to do, and it's the smart thing to do, and now is the time. Yes. It's within our grasp. Well, you mentioned something that it's the smart thing to do. I would also argue that we will have to go to Medicare for All if for no other reasons for the economics. You mentioned one small part of that is that it's very expensive for businesses with their health care right now. But economically, when you look at the cost differences, I would say if we will go to Medicare for All if for no other reason is that we have no choice. We cannot afford our current system. That's right. It's really the only thing we can afford to do. Um, And the good news is it's a really good option for us. Dr. Weisberg, thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.